0: Good morning, Church. So that baptism was just about wonderful. So, so good. Zoe, what does your name mean? Life? Life, yeah. And she expressed eternal life and abundant life and joyful life in her words. It was so good. I wish we could do that every week. So, and I think she also has the, uh, the right... She, she could do those commercials where at the end they give all the legal stuff that you can't hear. <laughs> but Zoe, thank you for that. That was a blessing to all of us. And to have dad baptize his daughter, that's pretty special as well. Would you please stand with me as we read the scripture for this morning? We are in 2 Peter. If you are new to West Hills, we essentially generally preach through books of the Bible. We finished First Peter several weeks ago, and now we're in 2 Peter, and uh, we will be in chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Let me read it for you as you follow along. Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. You know, in the course of a week's time, you are bombarded by hundreds of messages. True? Emails, text messages, blog posts, Uh, Internet articles, advertising, television advertising, um, your favorite talk show people, um, Fox News, CNN, NPR, MSNBC, all the networks. Messages, messages, messages just keep coming at you. And the question is, how do you know whether or not you can trust a message? How do you sort it all out? How do you sort out what is rock-solid truth versus speculation versus flat-out lies. Because you have to do that, right? We live with more messages today than probably any generation in the history of the world. And especially as God's people, you've got TV preachers and radio preachers, you've got books that you buy at bookstores, Um, you have Christian material that you read on the internet. How do you sort it all out? How would you know heresy if you heard it? How would you know if there was false teaching coming from this pulpit? Would you be able to discern? I mean, this has been a critical question for God's people for all of history, to be able to sort out truth from error, because we know that Satan is the father of lies, and we know that the world isn't exactly tuned to the same frequency as we need and so it's really, really important to be able to discern whether or not this is a word from heaven, a word from God, or not. When Peter wrote his second epistle, he was being accused of being a, bringing a false message, of making stuff up. And so you here you've got an apostle who's ha- having charges brought against him by those who were not sympathetic to him or his message and he knows that just the accusations might rattle some of God's people. And so he wants to calm their fears. I mean, they might have been asking, Peter, is this true? We're hearing stuff about you. We're hearing stuff about your gospel. Are you credible or not? This is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Peter essentially uses a part of Second Peter to defend himself and to defend his message to assure the people, yes, you can trust me, you can believe what I have said to you. As we look at Peter's defense, what I want for us to see in the defense is the glory and the beauty and the excellence and the complete trustworthiness of God's word that he has given to us in several different ways throughout redemptive history, as we'll see this morning that it is always trustworthy. God has spoken in a variety of ways throughout history, and every time God speaks, and He is still speaking today, Lord willing, He is speaking this morning through His Word and through the preaching of His Word. He's still speaking today, and whenever God speaks, His Word is filled with glory. And I hope that you see that today. Now Peter begins his defense by referring in the negative to the word which he has proclaimed through his preaching. He says in verse 16, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the negative, he uses the negative to talk about the glory of the preached word, the glory of the proclaimed word, the glory of the word that he has spoken and made known to them. He's talking about the things that he and the other apostles had made known through their preaching of the gospel. Specifically, here, what he has made known to them about the second coming of Christ. The things that he had taught and preached about with regard to Christ's return back to planet Earth. He says, When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not referring to Christ's first coming, the incarnation. He's referring to his second coming, his perusia, his return. Now, what had apparently happened was that there were those who were challenging the whole idea of Christ coming again, saying, where is this coming? It's been a long time, Peter. We're going to get to that in chapter 3. Where is this? Why why do you keep bringing this up? Why do you preach about this? They, They thought it was a cleverly devised myth, as he says. We did not follow cleverly devised myths. We didn't come up with with fairy tales. We didn't concoct this out of the. It's not a figment of our imagination. We didn't come up with this story in order to draw crowds to follow to follow us. It was in 1820 that Joseph Smith Jr. claimed that both God the Father and Jesus Christ had appeared to him, and then three years later Joseph Smith claimed that an angel named Moroni had been sent by God and had told him that he, Moroni, had buried some golden tablets in the ground in a field near the family farm in Palmyra, New York, but that Joseph Smith was not to retrieve those golden plates for another four years. And so the story goes that he left them in the ground. Four years later, he dug them up. And this is really critical to the Mormon narrative because they were supposedly then translated into the Book of Mormon. And for those who belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormonism, it legitimizes their belief that Joseph Smith was indeed a prophet of God and that he has brought the true message for our continent, North America, the Western world. But the only problem is that there's absolutely no evidence, no credibility to his claims, no reason whatsoever to believe that such golden plates ever existed. Smith also claimed that he had a seeing stone, a rock, that he could look through and see things that were 50 feet down below the surface of the ground, just as clearly as I'm seeing this bottle of water in my hand, the seeing stone. Now, to use Peter's terminology, Joseph Smith had come up with some cleverly devised myths about the angel Moroni, about the seeing stone, about the golden plates, and everything else basically that he taught. And yet, friends, sadly, today some 15 million people follow the teachings of Joseph Smith. Cleverly devised myths. And Peter says, we didn't do that. We didn't do anything close to that. We didn't fabricate this stuff. Now, will there be false teachers? Yes, there were false teachers in Peter's day. Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.4, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths, cleverly devised myths stories, tales. Will there be false teachers in our day? Yes, there are many false teachers in our generation. Was Peter a false teacher? Had he come up with cleverly devised tales and stories? And he emphatically says, no, I have simply told you what I have heard with my own ears and seen with my own eyes. Nothing more. Which brings us to the glory of the incarnated Word. The Word became flesh and lived among us. Peter says of Christ, we were with Him. We were with the person of Jesus on the holy mountain. We were eyewitnesses, verse 18. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. That's been our message, says Peter. Peter. We've just simply told you what we heard from Jesus. We've just simply preached what we saw in Jesus. Nothing more. See, on numerous occasions, Peter simply pointed to the fact that he and the others were there to witness the whole thing. Acts 2.32, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, said Peter. Acts three. He said to the Jews, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Acts 10, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. God raised him on the third day, made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. See, God wanted his witnesses. God wanted people who could give eyewitness accounts of everything they saw and everything they heard from Jesus. Peter says, that was me. That's all I've I've given you. I haven't made this stuff up. Now, here in the second epistle, he's referring to having been with Christ up on the mountain when Christ was transfigured. Highly memorable day in his life where he and the other apostles, James and John, were with him. The three of them were up on probably Mount Hermon, about 50 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus appeared, went up on the mountain, and with Jesus there appeared Moses and Elijah. Let me read the account for you. This is what Peter is referring to in 2 Peter 1. Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. You know, how, how Peter, how they knew it was Elijah and Moses, we're not told. You know, maybe Peter asked Jesus, Who were those two old dudes that were with you? You know? And Jesus said, Well, the guy with the long beard, that was Moses. And the guy who had that kind of kind of cool clothes made out of camel's hair. That was, that was Elijah. I don't know. But he probably just asked him and Jesus told him. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter was just trying to come up with some ideas to something to do. He just wanted something to do that thought would be kind of cool. Let me build three tents. And... Uh, Jesus said, that's not necessary. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept the matter to themselves. And now, in his second letter, Peter is disclosing what had happened again, saying, now I can tell you what happened to me. He's writing about it. He's saying, we witnessed firsthand the glory of Christ. We got a glimpse of what the glory of of the returning Christ is going to be like. We just got a little taste of it that day. We were with him on that remarkable day and what we preach and what we teach and what we proclaim with regard to the power and the coming of Christ is simply what he has shown us and told us will happen we saw his glory wouldn't you have loved to have been there that day Luke tells us the three of them, Jesus and Moses and Elijah, were conversing with each other. Don't you ever wish that you could be in on a conversation of important people or having a conversation over on the side? You know, if the day comes, as it's supposed to, when President Trump and, and uh, the leaders of North and South Korea all get together and they have some private conversations over on the side, wouldn't you love to listen in on those conversations when there's no microphones? Well, here, Jesus and Moses and Elijah are having a conversation. You say, what were they talking about? Well, Luke tells us they were talking about when Jesus would depart through his crucifixion. Imagine that. Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus about when he will depart. That's just, that blows my mind. And then we're told that a bright cloud overshadowed them and that they were afraid to enter the cloud. Peter was probably similar to the cloud that overshadowed Mount Sinai when Moses met with God and received the 10 commandments. Now, Moses is in another cloud, only this time he's with Elijah and with Jesus. And it says they heard a voice from heaven, which brings us to point number 3, the glory of the divinely uttered word of the Father from heaven. God spoke. They heard a voice when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. It's a title for God that Peter gives to God. This is the only time it's found in Scripture. The voice was born to him, to Jesus, by the majestic glory, and here is what he said. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Peter says, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. They knew it was God the Father speaking. It was the voice of God. The Father is the second time the Father from heaven gives verbal testimony to the identity of his Son. The first time was at his baptism, when Jesus was baptized. Matthew 3, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now that time, the disciples weren't there. They had just heard about Jesus' baptism through John the Baptist and others. This time, Peter, James, and John are there to hear the voice. And that had to have left a massive impression on them. Wouldn't it have left an impression on you? I mean, I'm impressed with a loud thunderclap during a thunderstorm. Say, whoa, Did you hear that? It shook the house. But can you imagine hearing the voice of God speaking from heaven? Now, I have a question for you at that point. What if you heard the audible voice of God? Do you think you'd be more inclined to believe? Do you think you'd be more inclined to follow the Lord and to obey Him if you could just hear with your ears? The voice of God speaking to you from heaven. Don't be so sure. Think of all the miracles that the Israelites experienced, both in the exodus from Egypt and in the years to follow. My goodness. They had journals of miracles. And yet we read that their hearts were stubborn. They were stiff-necked and rebellious, disobedient, Or what about the scribes and the Pharisees who said to Jesus, Teacher, we just wish to see a sign from you. These are the scribes and Pharisees. Teacher, just show us a sign. They wanted for Jesus to put on a miracle show. They wanted a David Copperfield act of some type. Even though they had already seen Jesus heal a man with a withered hand, they had already seen Jesus cast out demons, They'd already heard about him raising a young girl from the dead, restore sight to two blind men, heal a man of leprosy. And then they say, just give us one more sign, and then maybe we'll believe. And Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign. tell you what, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. That's the only sign I will give you, and even then you will not believe. See, friends, don't be so sure that if God gave you some miraculous sign that you would be much more inclined tomorrow morning to wake up and just be a totally different person. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. He speaks to us every day right here. Right here. Peter says the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. I I, I, I love that title. As I mentioned, that's the only time in Scripture that God has given that title by Peter. You have verses that reference both of those concepts. Exodus 15, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Deuteronomy 33, there is none like God who rides through the skies in his majesty, Or Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Majestic glory. Maybe this week you should pray. Sometime during the week, just pray to the majestic glory and see if that affects the way you think about God. And then what did they hear the Father saying? What was this voice? What was the message? Very concise. Wasn't a long speech, wasn't a 40 minute sermon. It was just really one extended sentence. This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. That's it. This is my son. In other words, Moses isn't my son. Elijah isn't my son. This is my son. He is greater than Elijah. He is greater than Moses. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This is my son whom I love. This is the father saying, I love him. I have loved my son for all eternity. You see, friends, with this voice from heaven, we're given a profound glimpse into the, the breathtaking relationship between God the father and God the son. Very simple This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am overwhelmingly pleased. I guess I just think that that alone should cause you to marvel all the more when you think of the Father sending the son whom he loved. For God so loved the world that he gave the son he loved. To take your place, we should have all been nailed to a billion crosses on a billion hillsides. But instead, one died. One died for all the beloved Son of God. And then he says, With whom I am well pleased. Well, the Father's been eternally pleased with the Son. But now in light of his willingness to do the Father's will, to empty himself, to take on flesh, to be born, to take on the form of a servant, be born in the likeness of you and me, to humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Naturally, the Father is so pleased with that. To the point of exalting the Son and bestowing on him the name that's above every name, at the name of Jesus Every knee, every knee, your knee will one day bow. One day your tongue will confess, may it not be too late, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the glory of the word spoken by the Father from heaven and heard by Peter and James and John with their own ears. And then you have Peter telling us about the glory of the prophetic word or the the, the written word or scripture. He says in verse 19, we have something more sure, the prophetic word. We have something that provides us with even greater assurance than seeing Jesus transfigured on a mountain. You might think that's enough. Wouldn't you think that would be enough? They got to see Jesus transfigured on the mountain. And Peter says, oh, no, no, we got something a lot more sur- sure than that. We have a more solid proof proof than, than even the spectacular experience of having witnessed the transfigured Christ. And you say, well, what is it? What is it that's better than that? It's Scripture. It's the prophetic word. It's the word of the prophets. It's the words of Scripture. Peter says that the prophetic word, God's word revealed and written down, gives us an even more certain and solid footing on which to stand. You say, how can that be? Because of its authorship. Who is the author of Scripture? Peter tells us. Verse 20, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, you see, that's what he'd been accused of. He'd been accused of coming up with something by his own will. You're accusing me of coming up with cleverly devised myths. I'm here to tell you no prophecy has ever been given by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God the Holy Spirit is the author of all prophecy, of all Scripture, what you have here in your Bible, it isn't merely the, the writings of a group of men sharing their ideas and opinions of what God might be like, or their feeble recollections of what maybe happened, skewed by their own preconceived ideas and, and biases and prejudices. No, what you have here are the writings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of what you have here. Divinely inspired authoritative word from God revealed and conveyed through human authorship of those who were led by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. Not as if they were robots. They weren't robots. They were were individuals with personalities. Not as if they were mindless robots. Yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit governing and ensuring that what they wrote was exactly according to the will of God. That's the assurance of the certain word that we have In scripture. I had to smile. When I walked in this morning. And the worship team was. Going through their songs. Because 15 minutes earlier. I had gone downstairs. And taken my notes. And I had. Added in the notes. How firm a foundation. Ye saints of the Lord. Is laid for your faith. In his Excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have what more is there to say? He gives us a firm foundation upon which to build not just your faith, but your life and your eternal destiny. Friends, it's all here. Thank you, Scott, for singing that song. The Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy, who was the pastor in Ephesus, these words. As for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. You say, well, who, from whom had Timothy learned the things of God? Some of you know. His mother and his grandmother Lois and Eunice. I mean, I know Mother's Day is a couple weeks off, but don't you ever minimize the role that you play in the lives of your children and grandchildren when you are teaching them truths from God's word? That shaped Timothy's life. Now, Paul says, continue, Timothy, in what you learned from your mom and your grandma you, firmly, you, you, you know from whom you learn, you've seen their lives. They are, they are godly women of integrity and character who love the Lord. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And here's what the sacred writings are able to do, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then that all-embracing statement... All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, that the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What a strong statement. The glory of the prophetic word of Scripture. And so in light of that, Peter seems to warn Give a warning that we need to be very careful in handling the prophetic word. He says in verse twenty one, knowing first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. I think Peter is saying there that in the light of the fact that there were false teachers, and there are false teachers today who twist the scriptures, and in light of the fact that the Holy Spirit is the author of what you have here, don't do what so many do. Don't twist the scriptures to suit your own passions. Don't come up with your own ideas. One of the most dangerous things that Christians can do is to get into a holy huddle and everybody kind of shares their ideas of what they think maybe the, the, the verse means. That's dangerous territory. You can talk about how to apply it once you have established the objective truth of Scripture, which may require some study on your part, allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture, but don't just say, well, I think, I may, I think maybe it kind of means this. No no, 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 that 's not the way you do it. It 's kind of like taking a yard you know, a ruler and saying, "I kind of think maybe it 's ten and a half inches. no it 's twelve inches. Now this is our standard, and there's a way to study it and analyze it and understand it that you end up with objective truth upon which you build your life don 't approach the Bible. Merely subjectively with your feelings and your emotions and looking for something to assuage you. You want to know exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted and intended when he led a man to write what he wrote. I think that's what Peter's saying here. I think he's kind of throwing a warning in here. Don't be like those who twist the scriptures. You see, I'll just tell you, in my my world... I've been, I've been studying the Bible since I was 18 years old. I don't plan on stopping. But I, I kind of have a mental shelf, if you will, that is labeled unanswered questions that will be held in trust until I get to heaven. Okay? I'm pretty convinced that 98% of everything I want to know, I can figure out an answer to, but there's probably going to be two or three percent where I just don't have answers. And I'm okay with that. But I'm not going to be guilty of taking scriptures and twisting them in order to come up with something that suits my fancy. Does that make sense? And that's, that should be your guideline as well. And then lastly, all of that leads to the glory of God's word when it gets applied to your life. That's where the rubber meets the road. The glory of God's word when it gets applied to individual lives in this room. Peter says, to which, he's talking about the prophetic word, God's word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. See, friends, there is one command in this whole section, just one. That's right there, two words. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to the prophetic word. Give your attention to what God has said. I referenced Jesus' baptism and the voice that was born from heaven to giving identity to Jesus, God the Father said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And then the Father said what? Listen to him. Listen to him. It's the only thing the Father said. That's what Peter is saying here. You would be so smart to pay attention to what you have here as to a lamp shining in a dark place. The dark place referring to a dark world in which we live. The world is filled with darkness, spiritual darkness, moral darkness. We live in a dark world. We need the light as to a lamp shining in a dark place. It's like a, it's like a high beam flashlight when walking through the woods on a dark night so that you can see where you're going, so you don't trip and fall and stumble. It was two years ago this summer that Jenny, Aaron, Reed, Jesse, and I were walking a wooded trail up in northern Michigan. Not not at night. We were in the daytime, daylight. We were walking this trail in northern Michigan when suddenly Jesse's foot caught a little stub of a root, about like that, sticking up out of the ground. His, His foot hit it, and he went down with a smack and he broke his arm and I still cringe at the reality of that day because we didn't know his arm was broken for probably another half hour and we kept walking but all it took was something that big friends to trip over and that's all it will take to trip you up without the word shining in a dark place whatever dark places you walk through Dark places of discouragement. Dark places of grief and sorrow. Dark places of temptation. Shining in a dark place. You've all got dark places. I've got dark places. And so on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I need the lamp. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. Every day of the week, I need the light of God's word to be my lamp. And you do too. Peter is telling these believers. And you say, well, how long are we supposed to do this? Peter tells us. Until the day dawns. What day? The day of the Lord's return. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The morning star, reference to the coming of Christ. Poetic imagery to describe the coming of the Lord. Friends, I would just say to you as I I close... How good of God to speak to us, to give us a word from heaven. We're not here stumbling around wishing we could hear a word from God. He has spoken. He has spoken to us through the prophets. He has spoken to us through his son. He speaks through the preached word. He speaks through the written word. You can hear from him this week. You can hear from God this week. It may not be a thunderclap, but then again, maybe it will be. Or maybe it'll be a, just a soft whisper of love and encouragement and tenderness for a, a wounded child. He has given us everything we need To him be the glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Would you take just a minute, please, and respond to what the Spirit of God may be saying to you today? I just have to believe that he's saying something to every single one of us through his word. His word does not return void, His word is living and active. What is he saying to you? Is he telling you that you need to trust in his son? The word took on flesh, lived for a while among us. 30 some years, the word of God lived, breathed, had flesh and bone. And then that living word was nailed to a cross. We should have all been nailed to crosses. But there was one who died. One who because of his righteousness. Could bear all of your sins. Every last one. All of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your regret. Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. I would call you to trust him today. If you've never done that before, trust him. Give your life to Christ. him as your Lord and your Savior turn from your sins tell him that you would you want to follow him just as Zoe said you want to follow him all the days of your life he will give you his forgiveness and his love and his grace he will extend to you all that you need speaking to speaking to humanity in such powerful ways and now we would just simply pray for ourselves that we would have ears that are unstopped ears to hear eyes to see hearts that would believe thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here this morning please bless them bless each one. You know exactly what the need of their life is. And for those who have never trusted in you, Spirit of God, would you please draw them, draw them to yourself. All for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. The people of God agreed by saying,